Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. P-O-T-F-P. Are you about it? Come on. Say, what in the world are you talking about? I knew y'all believed in spiritual gifts and uh, speaking in tongues. What's P-O-T-F-P? People of the fine print. People of the fine print. And uh, I am excited about this series because it's such a value uh, for this community. Uh, People of the fine print. And so to be able to publicly communicate uh, the value of people, the fine print, excites me, and I'm so humbled and honored to be able to kick off this series here in the month of August. The month of August is a great month for many reasons. I won't disclose all of those at this point, but it is a great month. Nevertheless, if you did not get a sermon card and would like one, if you'll put your hand in the air, one will be given to you. You'll I'm high enough. You'll need to turn me back down a little bit. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 29. This is the Apostle Paul. Apostle just means sent one. He was sent by Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord who revealed himself to Paul. And he's writing to a church in Corinth. And he says in 1 Corinthians 7, 29, But this I say, brethren, the time is short. So that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. I want to teach a message today titled simply what the title of this series is. People of the Fine Print. I want to frame and look at foundational things for this entire month as we look at this issue. And before I do, I want to pray. Father, I thank you that at the name of Jesus, Lord, the plans of the enemy and the powers of darkness have been defeated. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would administer the kingdom of Jesus to hearts, to lives today. That, Lord, you would work amongst us and work amongst your people. As you said, you walk amongst your churches. So, Holy Spirit, pinpoint issues. Speak to hearts. We need your supernatural ministry, Holy Spirit, so that Jesus and his kingdom, the reality of eternity, would be made real and practical to each and every one of us today. I yield to you, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I have a wife, and I'm grateful for that. 
I possess things that we have bought. I use the world. Michelle and I use the world and the things in the world that have been made available to us. And yet, in this text, Paul's writing to the church. He's writing to followers of Jesus in the city of Corinth. And he says, but this I say. But this I say, the time is short. Now, people always say, you know, do we live in the last days? Well, that's without question biblically. Because Paul the apostle, Peter and others... They believed the day they lived in, scripturally, was the last days. We're around 2,000 years from that point. So the question's not, are we in the last days, Pastor? That's a resounding yes. The question is, is how much of the last days are we in? How last of the last days? So... This still speaks to us. If it speaks to the church at Corinth, it speaks to us. And Paul says the time is short and therefore from now on, if you're married, live though as you did not have a spouse. If you possess things, live in a way as if you did not possess them. If you use the world and the things of the world, live in a way as not misusing it. Now let me say, today the focus is not about misusing the world and the things of the world. But if it were, let me just quickly say, to misuse the world and the things of the world means that the Lord's freed man and freed woman becomes a slave and into bondage. That's what it means. Meaning, being a slave to debt, being a slave to lenders, being a slave to fleshly lust, being a slave to discontentment, being a slave to pursuing pleasure instead of purpose. That is what misusing the world and the things of the world looks like for believers. Just remember this simply. Bondage bends you inward. Freedom bends you outward. Meaning, when we misuse the world and the things of the world, we get bent more about us. We get bent inward, thinking about us and looking inward. When we walk in the liberty that Christ has created us to stand in, we are bent outward to others and to what God is doing. Paul says, listen, to use the world in a way that is not misusing it is the aim. What does that look like, friends? What does it look like to use the world and the things of the world in a way that's not misusing them? Well, listen, to use the world and the things of the world in a way that is not misusing them is to use the world and the things of the world to accomplish biblical good works. That's what it looks like. Using cars for biblical good works. Using homes for biblical good works. Using finances and money for biblical good works. Using the systems of society for biblical good works. Using the things of the world for biblical good works. Using technology for biblical good works. Works. Now, I'm using the phrase biblical good works today for multiple reasons. First, to make it distinct from what society or others around us 
might deem as good works. Biblical good works are distinct from what society and people around us might claim or deem as a good work. Also to make it distinct from, listen, what unbelievers are capable of doing. To make it distinct from what society is able to do. Unbelievers in society are not capable of doing what the Scripture calls biblical good works. Why? Because they can't have oil on it. Don't let my accent mess you up there. That's O-I-L. They can't have the oil of God's presence on it. They can't have it. They can do something that looks like a good works, but it's not a biblical good works because the scent and the presence of the ministry of Jesus and the Holy Spirit's not on it. It's like the difference between a hand or hands that have not just peeled and eaten an orange and hands that have peeled and eaten an orange. There's a different fragrance. There's a different oil upon it. And it's the same for followers of Jesus. And let me just go ahead and say that because we're living in the last of the last days, there's going to become a greater and greater distinction between those that just have the light of Scripture and those who have the light of Scripture and the oil of God. I had a dream this week, and I'm not going to get into it because that's not my message. But it shook me. And in the dream was a person that I know of, not closely, but knew him growing up. And this person was preaching like an evangelist in churches. And the power of the Holy Spirit was used in this person so great that people that just grew up around Scripture in church but who had never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, multitudes were being filled with the Holy Spirit. See, I say that and you just listen, but I'm telling you, the distinction of what's got to happen in the days we live in is the people of God being filled with the Spirit of God. It's people being empowered with good works that have the scent and the oil of the Holy Spirit. There's a marked difference. We live in a time where, listen, you can't trust so-called experts in any field. So we got to begin to trust and depend greater on the one who's greater and is superior and who knows everything about every field, the precious gift of the Holy Spirit. I'll leave it there for today. But I'm sure we'll come back to it in the days to come. We're also using the phrase today of biblical good works to make it distinct and and to remind us that the Bible, Scripture, actually highlights specific works that are the fruit of our faith and our love in Christ Jesus. And lastly, I'm using that phrase, biblical good works, to communicate that they are good works that are only made possible because of the biblical message of the finished work of Jesus Christ and our acceptance and application of it. Now, there is in Scripture also a distinction between what's called great works and biblical good works. When you go read Scripture, you'll find that Scripture uses the phrase great works when it's talking about supernatural manifestations 
of God's power. So you, you see the phrase when Jesus, it says, he went and did a great work. What's a great work? Like cleansing a leper. That's not just a biblical good work. That's a biblical great work. Great works refer to the supernatural power of God doing what requires a miracle and manifestation of God's power in order for that to happen. That's not the subject today. But we also need to remember that as we talk about biblical good works, people of the fine print don't despise the reality that there is a category scripture of what's called great works. In fact, Jesus, when he talks to his disciples, he says, greater works you'll do, what he's talking about is these type of great works, that there's supernatural works available for the people of God. But what I found is you and I can never expect to experience the great works of the Lord if we don't first learn to be faithful and fruitful in the biblical good works of the Lord. Maybe some of you in the secular world heard of the book Good to Great by Jim Collins. It's a bestseller. Just sold a little more than mine. Just a little. But, but biblically, there's also that phrase of moving from biblical good works to biblical great works. But we're talking about biblical good works today. And you say, now wait a minute, what does any of this have to do with people of the fine print, Pastor Chad? Oh, it has everything. Because when you start learning about the people of the fine print mentioned by Paul, by Dr. Luke, by even Jesus himself, as recorded in the Gospels, you find that they were overcomers. Overcomers. What does overcoming have to do with biblical good works? And what does overcoming have to do with people of the fine print? Well, watch this. They overcame allowing their marriage, their possessions, their use of the world, and it's things from keeping them from displaying biblical good works. Meaning, people of the fine print overcame seeing or saying that being married, having a house, having possessions, using the world were distractions. They overcame seeing those things as excuses from being involved in biblical good works. See, Paul, right after he says this text, time's short, therefore, if you're married, this is what you should consider. If you have possessions, this is what you should consider. He says this in 1 Corinthians 7.35. He says, And this I say for your own profit. Not that I may put a leash on you, but watch this, before what is proper. And that you may serve the Lord, here it is, without distraction. The aim of what Paul is saying in our main text is that his aim and his goal is that we would grow to a place and we would live in a way that we would not allow even good things, godly things, he who finds a wife finds favor from the Lord, that we would not allow good things and God things to become an excuse or a distraction for, from the biblical good works we were created in Christ Jesus to do and to walk in. They overcame, people of the fine print overcame those things being a distraction from the reality that through the new birth they were created for biblical good works. Now, Jesus in his seven letters to the seven churches in Asia, 
You read it in Revelation chapters 1 through 3. makes it clear that Jesus, the King of the kingdom, the one who was crucified, died, buried, and rose again, that He seeks overcomers. Jesus, because He's King of the kingdom, and right now the kingdom can't be seen in the beginning with the visible eye. But He's looking for people who will follow Him and He will make and lead them into be overcomers so that when He comes and reigns and sets up His kingdom physically, He's got some people equipped and ready to handle the powers of the age to come. And Jesus makes it clear He's looking for overcomers. He's looking for overcomers. And when you read through His message to the early church and to each church there, it's apparently clear to those who have eyes to see the positive emphasis Jesus puts on biblical good works. He puts a positive emphasis on biblical good works. Now, to some here today, that might sound shocking to you. To others, not so much based on your church upbringing, your church experience. For those who may be shocked by hearing how Jesus puts an emphasis on biblical good works, the value that you see that Jesus puts in those letters and messages to the seven churches in Asia, those that might be shocked about that, it's probably due to a result of something, whether you're conscious of it or not. It's due to the result of the Reformation that Martin Luther started and began as he responded to the corruption in the Catholic Church during the days that he lived. If you're not familiar with church history or even history in general, Martin Luther got revelation from Scripture. It was there the whole time, but there's things that can be there the whole time, but if it's not taught and the church culture you grew up in teaches contrary it or don't teach it, you can be blinded from what's there the whole time. So he got an illumination and a revelation what was already there. And what he got a revelation and illumination of is that we are justified. We are declared innocent, no longer guilty of our transgressions and sins and made right with our Creator God through faith alone in Christ alone. Hallelujah for that truth. Not through charitable deeds that the Catholic Church was demanding for people or through ritual acts of penance, but through justification by faith alone in Christ alone. The issue has become is since the, Revolu- the Reformation, so many have gotten just focused on that one truth, justification by faith in Christ alone, that it has blinded them, either consciously or unconsciously, of this fact. Are you ready for the fact? That we might not be saved by our good works, but we were saved for biblical good works, and we were created for such works through regeneration and through the new birth. It's a fact. Ephesians 2.10, you were created in Christ Jesus for biblical good works which God prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. Walk in them. I think it's easy when we look around the landscape of Western Christianity to see the effects of where we have focused on one truth that it has blinded us and caused us to neglect the reality of other truths. That we were created in Christ for biblical good works. You know, when I look at the landscape of today's 
American church in my experience. And I also see another distinction from the early church. Let me mention one. Most American churchgoers, because of the culture we live in, we seek to pack more activities into our Sunday schedules. When the early church packed more each Sunday for their gatherings and their fellowships. What do I mean? We rush from gathering. We gather and we rush to other activities we planned. And we pack in our day before Monday in the work week. The early church, they packed more for when they went to a gathering. Why? Because they hung out in fellowship with the brethren all day. They ate together. They laughed together. They hung out together after the gathering. Now listen, I understand culturally, there's some of us that due to our job and our field and our place of employment, we have to work on Sunday. My point's not dismissing that reality. I get that. Okay? No problem with that. My point of the difference between the early church and today is a heart and mentality issue. Could be a wisdom issue if you're not in the place of employment or in the field that God has for you that's emotionally healthy for you, that He's graced you for, that's healthy for your family. But my point of difference is, is you find a different mentality and heart of the early church, and it bleeds over into the people of fine print we're going to talk about this month. Why? Because watch this. It's not that the people of the fine print we read about in the early church were not married. It's not that they didn't have children. In fact, the majority of them had to actually take intentional care of their extended family. It's not that they didn't have jobs. It's not that they didn't have work. It's not that they didn't have possessions or homes or families or responsibilities. Here's the difference. The difference is the people of the fine print were not too busy not to be busy with biblical good works. I'll say it again. The people of the fine print... We read about in the early church, we're not too busy not to be busy with biblical good works. They were what Scripture and Jesus called overcomers. They overcome allowing even the good things, the things that God had called them to, their marriage, raising their children, their job. They didn't allow those things to distract or keep them from engaging in what in Christ God created them for. They were overcomers. For example, Erastus. Probably not heard of him. He's a person of the fine print. He's there. But he was a treasurer of the city. And yet he was sent by Paul on missions work. Lydia was a seller of purple. That's extravagant luxury items. And yet she was part of an outdoor prayer group movement. I like this quote from Martin Luther. He said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 19 and 21. Let's look at this and read along as they put it up. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, seal of approval, the Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ, everyone who says, I'm a Christian, depart from iniquity. A one-time exit from the house and bondage of sin. 
Verse 20, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for, for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Notice in a big house, in a large house, in a great house, there's all kinds of vessels. There's some, though, that are vessels of honor, and there's some vessels of dishonor. Notice vessels of honor in the Father's house are those that are prepared for every good work. They're prepared for every biblical good work. Now you say, Pastor Chad, what are some biblical good works? Well, listen, to test all things, Scripture says is a biblical good work. To test all things with Scripture. Being patient in the moment of trial, difficulty, is a biblical good work. Perseverance, enduring afflictions, calling on the Lord in prayer is a biblical good work. Holding fast to truth in a day where masses will heap up teachers to say what the masses want them to say and will no longer hold fast to Christ as revealed through biblical scripture and doctrine. That's a biblical good work. To manifest peace and the kingdom of peace in a place of strife Friction and aggravation and debate. It's a biblical good work. Faithfulness, thankfulness, holy conduct, loving, even when it's not convenient. When in the last days people will be unloving. Acts of love, acts of commitment, acts of care, biblical good works. Forgiving is a biblical good work, where in the last days people will be unforgiving. Laboring, working, going to your job, not just with the intent for a paycheck, but going to glorify Jesus and to work for Him is a biblical good work. You can turn your work into a biblical good work when you have a heart of worship, And do it for the audience of one, the king, your king, Jesus. Evangelizing. Sharing your faith. Sharing the declaration that has been declared by God that Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life is a biblical good work. Serving. Serving people. Serving the community of believers. Serving others is a biblical good work. Work, meeting the needs of the saints, ministering and using your spiritual gifts, honoring and submitting to one another, hospitality, teaching and sharing the pattern of sound doctrine, godliness at home, bringing up children in the fear and admonition of the Lord is a biblical good work, helping the saints in their walk of following Jesus, Being involved in the discipleship process is a biblical good work. Washing the saints' feet, that means helping them in their walk, helping them overcome the dirt and the debris of their past and the world around them in the flesh is a biblical good work. Relieving the afflicted, 
having the talk of justice upon our tongue is a biblical good work. This is the vision of this community of followers of Jesus. Manifesting Christ in many ways to many people. I listed several ways that the Bible talks about biblical good works. That's the vision to see a group of people submitted and surrendered and yielded to the leader of all the people, Jesus the King, and allowing His Spirit to flow in them and motivate and move through them to display the beauty of Christ through biblical good works. To see Christ made real, manifested. The invisible King becoming visible to those around us through biblical good works. So listen, when Jesus talked about doing our good works, He doesn't negate or de-emphasize the value of biblical good works. He just talks about the motive of it. He says we do biblical good works not just to be seen by men or women. We do it out of worship and obedience to Him. But listen, though we don't do our biblical good works to be seen by men, they should be seen by men. (laughs) Because there is no other biblical good works. Biblical good works is not I had the intent to help someone. I thought about, no, 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 it's actually doing it. And if you do it, that means someone sees it. Someone's impacted by it. Now, think about all the things I mentioned, and that's just some of them. That was a lot. That's a lot of good works to get prepared for. Where does it start? Well, it starts with being cleansed and then set apart. Think of Romans 12, 1 and 2. Present your body a living sacrifice. Renew your mind, no longer thinking about the world. Meaning what? Don't think on cultural terms regarding what's a good work. Learn to think in biblical terms on what's a biblical good work. Being cleansed from wanting to be special. Wanting to be in the spotlight. Wanting to be a social influencer. Wanting to have a social platform. Of being famous. Being willing to follow Jesus and make yourself of no reputation. That's how you start getting prepared for biblical good work. See, listen, people of the fine print are followers of Jesus who are fine with biblical good works. They're fine just doing biblical good works. Now, here's a question we want to ask. When there is so much we are to grow up into, so many biblical good works to be prepared for, how do we not get overwhelmed? How do we not get overwhelmed? Thankfulness, biblical good works, submitting. How do we not get overwhelmed? Here's why, watch this. The gospel of God is filled with complexity. But all its complexity is simplified in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why scripture says, you don't start focusing on all the different aspects of truth and knowledge. You focus on Jesus who all the aspects of truth and knowledge are found within. You don't start focusing on all the different biblical good works. You focus on Jesus where all the biblical good works hangs upon. The people who stop focusing on Jesus don't progress in being prepared for every good work. 
The people who focus just on the biblical good works get distracted and overwhelmed and never are prepared for more biblical good works. Let me give you an Old Testament type. In Isaiah 22, it's actually one of the prophetic passages that God spoke to my wife and I during the early times of this plant. But in Isaiah 22, verse 22 through 24, you read about a story of Shibna and Elikim. Now, Elikim stood next to Ezra when you go read Ezra and Nehemiah. And it says that the key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder. So he shall open and no one shall shut. And he shall shut and no one shall open. Verse 23, Isaiah 22. I will fasten him, watch this, as a peg in a secure place. And he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. They will hang on him all the glory of the father's house. The offspring and the posterity, watch this, all vessels of small quantity from the cups to all the pitchers shall hang on him. What is this? Well, Jesus said all of the Old Testament scriptures testify of me. Meaning, the substance of what happened during the time of Ezra and that Isaiah is talking about, you find fulfilled in Christ. And here's what it means. All of the biblical good works of the vessels, the vessels of honor, hang on Jesus. They hang on Jesus. All the glory, all the praise and honor of the biblical good works, they all hang on Jesus. It's Him who made them possible. And it's Him who will empower us to walk in such biblical good works. All biblical good works hang on Jesus. What's it mean? It means the complexity in the many ways that Christ can be manifested, the many types of biblical good works, they're all simplified. They all hang upon the person of Jesus. And if you and I and we corporately will fix our eyes on Jesus, He will empower and move us into the biblical good works He created us for. He created us for. On vacation, my family, we recently went on vacation with my extended family. And uh, it's serious business at our vacation because we only do it uh, once every two years with all the extended family. It gets serious. We have a we have a we have planning committees. I mean, it, it gets serious, and uh, some of my the planning committee might be watching. Thank you for your diligent effort. But we had the family Olympics. Oh yeah, they brought out charts, and we had signs, and you see medals, and we had these competitions in in the house, and I'm holding here. This is going to shock you because some of you think, oh, these are, these are yours, Pastor Chad. You write that. No, these are actually my daughter Alexa's medals. She won overall the most medals in the family Olympics. Yeah. She gets it for me, though. <laughs> Don't tell her mother. No. But you know what? She got these medals. Not from being a critic. She got these medals not from being an observer. She got these medals because she was a performer. And when we think about people of the fine print, what makes them 
so fine in the kingdom of God, so beautiful, is they were doers of the word, not just hearers. They walked in the biblical good works that they were created and called to in Christ. Alexa got the medals because she performed and did. You know, I could have sat back and say, well, you know, I, I don't like her form on, on that. didn't matter. If she outperformed me, she got the medal. And in the end, the vessels of honor are vessels of honor because they allow Jesus to work in them and through them to perform good works, and they all of their good works in the end hang on Jesus. Meaning, the lack of good works in our life is the exposure of our lack of depending upon Jesus. See, when you hang, notice it said that all of the vessels would hang upon that peg. That's secure when Jesus... When you hang the metals on the peg, they're depending on the peg. Meaning our biblical good works are depending on us fixing our eyes and trusting in Jesus. Our lack of biblical works is exposing something. We're being distracted from what we're called to. We're being distracted from fixing our eyes on Jesus. We're being distracted of why we were even justified in the first place. Why we were even saved for the first place. We were saved for something, not just saved from something. And we were saved for biblical good works. Where does it start? Listen, invite the Holy Spirit to start working in you and through you to move you towards biblical good works. That's why he's called the helper. He'll help you. Recently, uh, Michelle and I, we had a refrigerator issue. We had a flow issue, meaning in certain parts, we, it's a you know, fridge on one side, refrigerator on the other, one unit. On one side, the, the air was very cold. But the, the very cold air in the bottom of the freezer wasn't circulating to other parts of the fridge and, and the freezer. There was a circulation problem. There was a flow problem. And what began... To be the problem we discovered is that there's a fan inside the freezer. It's called an evaporator fan. And it goes right here. And this is the evaporator fan motor. And this went bad. And because the fan went bad, the cold air at the bottom of the freezer wasn't circulating to the rest of the unit. And I thought, how is that such not a picture of so many in the body of Christ. They got the, the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They got the, the power of God. They got the new birth. They got the potential for biblical good works. But they got a circulation issue. Jesus has came in, but He's not being stirred within them to come out. And we need... To be stirred. We need the life of Jesus to be stirred on the inside of us so that it can prepare us and for all the good works He has for us to flow through us. 
There's two main attacks right now I sense towards your life to try to hinder the flow issue. They both start with you. One's unforgiveness. It's here today. I feel it. And the other's uncleanness. Two major attacks I sense to try to keep us from being vessels of honor, to keep the circulation of the life of God flowing in us and out of us in good works. Unforgiveness and uncleanness, sexual immorality. You say, listen, how do I start fanning into flame my life for biblical good works? How do I stir up biblical good works? Well, let me give you eight real quick. First, repent. If you'll repent and say, Lord, I have a flow issue. Yeah, I do. I spend my time in the Word with you and I come to the gathering. And and yes, there's some life inside me, but it's the full circulation of what you intend is hindered. I change my mind. I want the full flow of your current, of, of your wind, of your spirit through my life. Second, get tired of the heat of trials. Casey, you can come. A lot of time God allows difficulty and heat of trials in our life to stir us up again towards our high calling and the call of biblical good works. Thirdly, listen to biblical teachings regarding biblical good works. Do you know that when it talks about Jesus in Luke 23, 5, it says He stirred up the people through teaching. Three or four, use your hands regardless of current mood and emotional Feelings. A lot of people say, well, once I I feel the desire to do biblical good works, I do it. That's not how change comes. If change came that way, everybody would change. Most people are dependent on how they feel. That's why they don't change. You make a decision and you do what you're called to do before you feel it, and then your feelings will eventually line up with the choices. Here's another one. Five, try something new. You know how an eagle stirs up the babies in the nest? Says, we're going to try something new. Get on mama's back and takes them up and then drops them. Try something new. Try taking a meal to someone that needs a meal. Try inviting someone to the gathering. Try serving on Sundays. Try something new. Discover a passionate conviction. Discover something you're passionately convicted about whether it's justice or the widow or whether it's serving those that's considering abortion find a passionate conviction and then get involved with those that's already involved in it gather and group with fellow followers of Jesus and as you do consider their needs do what you're doing but don't just come and and be so stiff you're not going to see anybody you're just going to sit down No, no, come and look around and start considering where brothers and sisters around you are in in life and and consider their needs and it'll stir you up to biblical good works. And then use your spiritual gifts. I found that when you use your spiritual gifts, it provides spiritual energy to do biblical good works. Paul concludes in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13. To the letter he writes to the church in Corinth. He says, watch, stand fast in the faith. Sounds like Jesus to churches in Revelation. Be brave, be strong. 
Let all that you do be done with love. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that is the first fruits of Achaia, that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. I'm glad about the coming of Stephanus. Fortunus, Achaeus, what was lacking on your part, they supplied, for they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. You know what Paul's doing? He's doing what he told others to do. He acknowledges people of the fine print. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 5.12, he says, Recognize those who labor among you. What we need in the body of Christ right now is not more critics and more believers with opinions. We We need more doers of biblical good works. And here you see some characteristics of people of the fine print we're going to look at all month. What are they? Watch. People of the fine print are often first fruits. Meaning they're often those that go first. They're often those that see a need and they get involved first with it. They don't wait for others to find ownership of a need or that they see it and they go first. Secondly, people of the fine print are devoted. Did you see that? It says the, the first fruits of Achaia, the household of Stephanus, they devoted themselves. You know what it means to be devoted? It means you made a choice and a commitment to devote yourself. You make a choice, and then you devote yourself. Then it said in verse 15, uh, how they served. How they served. People of the fine print minister. And because people of the fine print minister, watch this, they're okay if they're not the main headline. They're too busy ministering to get distracted on whether people see that they're ministering. They're they're too busy doing biblical good works to get distracted comparing themselves. They just minister. They minister. People of the fine print are to be esteemed and therefore submitted to. Because they're not just hearers, they're doers, they're overcomers. They move past allowing even the good things, the God things in their life to become an excuse. People of the fine print have a faith in Jesus that works and a love for him that labors. People of the fine print are a supply chain. Do you see that in verse 17? He said, what was lacking on your part, they supplied. Do you know there's always more? There's always more God could do through this community. There's always more that he could, of course, do for us, but there's always more he could do through us. There's always needs in the community for Jesus to be manifested and revealed. And people of the fine print When they see areas of lack, they are an instrument of God's supply. They say, Lord, use me. Here's my hands. Here's my love that labors for you. Here's my feet that will go first and serve and minister. They supplied the ministry of Jesus to areas of need. People the fine print are refreshing. Did you see that? Paul said, hey, they're such a refreshing to me. I want to tell you as an equipper, as one that will stand before God on how I've equipped you, uh, to for you for your biblical good works and purpose when I see someone overcoming and still engaging and being a person of the fine print it refreshes me say so, oh the, the circulation of the Holy Spirit in their life's working they're not just receiving and keeping and it not flowing into other areas people of the fine print are followers of Jesus who overcome not just being overwhelmed And therefore, they're to be acknowledged as such. That's why they're called vessels of honor. They're to be honored for what they do, how God uses them to minister to spot. I thought about 
the coronavirus. How it's revealed supply chain issues for so many companies and businesses and into our nation. The need of shelves to be refreshed and yet they're empty and I thought about how there's a virus, a virus of the enemy seeking to attack and stay in the body of Christ and the people of God. It's a virus of immature faith. Immature faith that thinks that all God wants is for you to be able to say, I'm justified by faith alone in Christ alone. It's a faith that thinks that following Jesus is just about adhering to the right mental doctrines. No, no, no. It's the mystery is that Christ is in us so now He can live through us. And when we don't have that right understanding, it leads to a supply chain issue. That Christ wants to meet the needs of people around us. He wants to minister to them and serve them. But the way He does it is there's got to be that flow for us. we got to receive and then allow Christ to give through us. So people of the fine print. Anybody want to be a person of the fine print? Come on. Anybody want to be good with the biblical good works? Anybody want to have the full flow of God's Spirit coming in but yet out of you? Anybody want to walk in what God created you for? Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.